people care about their car buying journey, provide your customers with an unparalleled chat and digital retailing experience with Goobagoo. Whether your customers are online or in-store, Goobagoo is there. See the magic at Goobagoo.com. That's G-U-B-A-G-O-O.com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, January 5th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. We're here at day three of CES in Las Vegas, and it's the first day that the show is open to the public. A little later, we'll hear from Philip Kompshoff of McKinsey & Company, which has a bold prediction for EV adoption by 2030. Our best estimate at this point in time, we would say right around 50% of all new vehicle sales will be electrified. But first, there are dozens upon dozens of government officials here at CES this week, hoping to convince companies to make new investments. We'll hear from Garland Gilchrist, the Lieutenant Governor of Michigan, where a new Democratic majority hopes to both attract new business while also strengthening unions. For all the companies that have been making all these investments over these last several years in Michigan, not one of those companies or the companies who we've competed for business with have said that the unions were a deterrent. They've seen the quality of the Michigan workforce as an opportunity for them to grow and grow their business. Kel, before we get to our guests for today, you got a chance to check out two of the big reveals here at CES last night. It was great to finally see the collaboration between Sony and Honda. Uh, They showed their new Afila prototype, uh, which was really cool. Uh, The new Afila prototype was unveiled by the CEO of Sony Honda Mobility, Yasuhide Mizuno. Here's what he had to say last night. Afira represents our concept of an interactive relationship where people feel the sensation of intelligent mobility and where mobility can detect and understand people and society by utilizing sensing and AI technologies. You also got to check out the new BMW iVision D concept unveiling. Our reporter who covers BMW, Irvash Karkaria, described it as a smorgasbord of technologies the German automaker is cooking up to blend virtual and physical experiences. Yeah, the D was really, really cool. Um, The best way to sum that up, it's the 21st century version of Kit from Knight Rider, and they even brought Kit out. But what was really cool about this car is it changes colors. So it has this crazy paint technology. Uh, it was gnarly. Uh, here's what BMW CEO Oliver Zipsa had to say. Well, dear friends, meet Dee. But please don't call her just a car. You will hurt her feelings. She likes to think herself as a promise, a commitment, or even better, a companion. Basically, she says she's the best thing since the wheel was invented. Now, he makes a good point because BMW has always been known as the ultimate driving machine, but now they've created the ultimate driving companion. And this car, the D, or whatever you want to call it, has a personality. And we'll be going to the Ram EV unveiling this afternoon. We can talk about that one tomorrow. But CES isn't just about big product reveals or showing off cool technologies. It's also a place where business gets done in person. It's an opportunity for public officials to meet industry leaders and talk about why their country, state, or city is a good place to invest and create jobs. Michigan Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist is one of those officials traveling to CES this week. His state is one that has landed a couple of big battery investments in the past year. It's also a state where Democrats now have full control of policymaking for the first time in about 40 years, which could mean more favorable laws for unions. 
I caught up with Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist before his flight to Las Vegas to talk about how he plans to make the case for Michigan here at CES this week. Here's our conversation. Garland Gilchrist, welcome to Daily Drive. Jamie, good to speak with you today. So I know you're about to come out here to Las Vegas for CES. You know, there's at least 150 federal officials and other, you know, elected representatives here expected at the show. How do you make Michigan stand out when you're talking to companies that are looking for where to invest? Well, Jamie, as you know, making sure that everyone around the country and around the world knows that Michigan is the best place to invest and build a family, build a future, build a company is priority number one for me and Governor Whitmer. And so being able to return to CES for the first time since before COVID in person to tell the Michigan story is something I'm very excited to do today and for the next few days. And you know, Jamie, I'm an engineer. That's what I went mm-hmm. to college for, to be a software developer. I'm a two-time recovering entrepreneur. So I'm going to be meeting <laughs> with companies and talking about you know, what I understand about what they're going through. You know, making the choice to invest in a place is one of the most important decisions you'll make that will dictate the trajectory of your business. And I want them to know that our administration understands them and working with our partners at the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, that we are going to make sure they have all the tools at their disposal so that their companies can be successful. And even in the past legislature, over the past couple of years, you've seen amazing bipartisan work on economic development tools being created so that we could attract businesses large and small, that we could encourage Michiganders to create businesses um, that are going to be able to change the economy for the better. And we've seen big successes, huge investments from, you know, our, our big three automakers, General Motors and Ford in particular, multi-billion dollar investments in Michigan, but also investments in the electric vehicle batteries um, through Michigan or through our next energy or Goshen. And these are investments that are happening all over Michigan because we have talent all over Michigan. And and that's the kind of work that we're going to continue to do. I'm going to tell that Michigan story and let them know if they want to come and be successful and change the world, Michigan's the place to do it. So, uh, you know, the presence of the Detroit three uh, here is a draw on on a lot of levels, of course, because there's so much automaking done here. And it's really important to make batteries close to where the vehicles are being assembled. But at the same time, it sometimes seems like companies are wary of Michigan, whether it's because of the the union culture or just the, uh, some of the costs of competing for labor against the Detroit automakers. Uh, how do you how do you address that with with companies? You know, our workforce, our workers, our union members are an asset in Michigan. And we frame it as such. And for all the companies that have been making all these investments over these last several years in Michigan, um, not one of those companies or the companies who, who we've competed for business with have said that the unions were a deterrent. They've seen the quality of the Michigan workforce as an opportunity for them to grow and grow their business. And so what we say to companies is that look at the entire value proposition of our state. We have more engineering talent, especially in southeastern Michigan, than in any other region of the country. We also, again, have put get worked with the previous legislature to put in place economic development tools um, that we can use to create the right kinds of packages um, to become partners as a state with companies that are willing to build and create jobs here in the state of Michigan. And we also let them know that our talent development pipeline is getting bigger and stronger and faster because Governor Whitmer and I started in 2019 with our commitment to something called 60 by 30, which is making sure that we're going a path to where 60% of Michigan adults have a degree or training certification post high school. 
by the year 2030, since we announced that goal in 2019, established the Michigan Reconnect program and the Futures for Frontliners programs and the Michigan Achievement Scholarship, we've already moved from 45% to 49% in just two and a half years. And so we are ready to continue to accelerate that progress. We're ahead of schedule to meet that goal. That's going to be more talented people across more fields that are ready to create value in more industries here in Michigan than never before. So the there's been talk that the newly democratic uh, state legislature might move to repeal the state's right to work law. And I just heard you there saying, you know, the, the unionized workforce is very talented and, and capable and, and can be a draw. But you know that the southern states in the so-called battery belt are going to uh, try to use that as, a, as an advantage, try to use it as leverage against Michigan. Uh, how do you try to counter that? Every company that's chosen to invest in Michigan has done so because of our talent, not in spite of it. That's going to continue to be true going forward. And so we're looking forward to, to creating more jobs, more opportunity. And, and those companies are going to realize that talent is the number one asset, and that's the number one determinant of success and failure. And we have more of it in Michigan uh, than any place else. And we certainly want to make sure that we can demonstrate in Michigan that workers have the right to be respected. And we're going to we're going to always make sure that people are respected at work and protected at work. And there's a lot of things that can that can happen and make sure that that is so. And that will help us grow economically. That will help us create more jobs that will help us attract more businesses and more investment. And we're going to lean forward and do that. In addition to this uh, you know, real draw, real demand for EV scale batteries, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act also places rules on where battery minerals come from and where they're processed. Is that an opportunity for Michigan mining and refining of minerals for EVs, or, or is that not a good fit for the state? Well, you know, Michigan has a rich history of, um, you know, using, as I said in my inauguration speech, sand, solder, and sunlight to create <laughs> value. And so certainly um, we've seen that be an important part of our industry, and it's a demonstration that Michigan companies and Michigan talent can participate in every element of the value chain, but for whether it's cars, whether it's semiconductors, whether it's medical devices, like we have a chance to create value at every part of the of the of the value chain that leads to this to these products. And I certainly expect that to continue. Um, but I also expect that Michigan companies are going to be able to innovate, even if they're not the ones that are pulling the resource out of the ground. They're the ones that are doing the, the, the scientific work to be able to, to combine them in ways that are that are innovative and that lead to you know more efficiency and more effectiveness with the products that, that come of it. So I think Michigan's going to continue to play a role at every, at every step of the way. All right. Garland Gilchrist is the Lieutenant Governor of Michigan. Thank you, sir, for joining us today. Thank you and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Coming up, McKinsey & Company might be an outlier these days when it comes to how quickly it expects Americans to adopt EVs and hybrids. We hear Jamie's conversation with Philip Kompschoff, who leads the McKinsey Center for Future Mobility in the Americas. That's next on Daily Drive. Slate Money is a weekly roundup of the most important stories from the world of business and finance. Hosted by Felix Salmon, Elizabeth Spires, and me, Emily Peck. Confused by crypto? Can't keep up with the metaverse? Wondering why the price of just about everything keeps rising? The Slate Money Podcast is here for you. Listen to Slate Money every Saturday morning, wherever you get your podcasts. People care about their car buying experience, and so do we. Provide your customers with an unparalleled chat and digital retailing experience with Goobagoo. 
Gubagoo is the leader in conversational commerce for the automotive industry. Our fully managed live messaging services instantly connect consumers to dealers anytime and anywhere through live chat, text, video, and more. Integrated with our fully managed chat, Gubagoo's virtual retailing platform enables consumers to buy cars online directly from the dealership's website through multiple channels. We are constantly improving the retailing experience and currently have over 100 integrations with CRMs, DMSs, and third-party applications. Goobagoo transforms the traditional car buying process into a modern, transparent, and seamless experience. Available 24-7, 365, our highly trained chat specialists are there to help. See it for yourself at goobagoo.com. That's G-U-B-A-G-O-O dot com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. It's hard to count all the variables that will determine the pace at which American car buyers come around to electric vehicles and plug-in hybrids. Charging, range, and affordability are some of the big ones. Among the forecasters trying to make projections about EV market adoption, McKinsey & Company might be one of the most optimistic. I got a chance to talk about it with Philip Kampschoff, who leads the McKinsey Center for Future Mobility in the Americas. Here's our conversation. Philip Kampschoff, welcome to Daily Drive. Thanks for having me, Jamie. So we're here at CES, which is naturally a tech-forward environment, and EVs are very prominent here. Uh, we've seen the market grow from about 3% in 2021 in the U.S. to uh, 5% or so in 22. Uh, what's your outlook for, say, 2030? Yeah, uh, we would say um, we're still pretty bullish about EV adoption in the U.S., especially what we've seen in the last year with IRA kicking in, for example. We see further acceleration. So our current projections on the current case and trajectory, we would say right around 50% if you include uh, not only battery electric vehicles, but also hybrids. Um, On an accelerated case, it could go north all the way up to 60. Now, if we see for whatever reasons being battery shortage or other shortages, we might see a little bit of a slowdown. It could go down to to 30. But overall, if you ask our best estimate at this point in time, we would say right around 50% of all new vehicle sales will be electrified. That um, that's pretty remarkable to me. I feel like uh, your those projections is a bit higher than than most of what I've seen, at least outside of you know the White House. Well, first let's let's unpack a little with the IRA. You know the Inflation Reduction Act. There's been a lot of um, confusion in the market in in the short term here. You know, first there were the two thirds of the vehicles that lost their federal support. Then we hit January 1 and GM and Tesla can be back in the game, but um, some of the classifications are a little funky and we don't have all the rules from the IRS. By 2025, or hopefully even by 2023, that'll all be smoothed out, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's still some clarity around you know, what it exactly means and some of the regulations might change over time. But overall, you know, when you look at it, uh, what are the reasons why people are still hesitant to buy an electric vehicle at this point in time? You know, the number one and number two stated reasons are typically uh, range anxiety, so worried that the car doesn't go far enough, and the second one is uh, lack of charging infrastructure. 
Uh, and you could argue those are sort of two sides of the same coin. If you have more charging infrastructure, then you're less worried about range or the other way around. Now, what IRS, uh, IRA does is it certainly helps a lot with the charging infrastructure side, both if you want to get a charger in your home and you have a subsidy for that, but also to build out fast chargers across the U.S. So certainly we're going to see more momentum coming from this because it just takes away two of the main reasons why people are still hesitant to buy an electric vehicle. You, I believe you also have some uh, some thoughts about inductive charging. That really, you know, it's we can can make the EV ownership a lot easier for people. Yeah, I think inductive charging is the future. I think it's going to come. The question is when. Um, technology is almost there. When you think about efficiency and doing wireless charging or inductive charging, imagine it's like a, like a plate that sits on the ground that you might have in your garage and you drive in, you just drive over it and it automatically starts charging. And there's nothing at that point in time that you need to do. You don't need to walk around your car. You need to plug it in. There's a couple of big advantages from that, right? Sometimes today you might park your car in your garage and you just forget to plug it in. So the next day you might find your car is actually out of charge. You have to go to work and then you realize your car is not charged and then you're in trouble. That doesn't happen if you have wireless charging because it sort of charges automatically. I think then there's also a convenience aspect about it. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And many people know that from their phones. They really prefer just having you know, a wireless charging device at the nightstand and then put your phone in overnight, it charges automatically. Uh, we're going to see something similar on the, on the car side. Technology might still be a bit on the expensive side. So that's why we haven't seen it at full adoption yet. But we see costs coming down quite significantly. And, and this is certainly one of the things where I would say it adds to the convenience of having an electric vehicle at your home. You know, as we try to think about reducing the carbon footprint of the transportation industry and automobiles in particular, you know, there's a lot of folks are very interested in hydrogen. But, but you're not terribly optimistic either for fuel cells or hydrogen combustion. Why, why not? I think uh, for hydrogen, it really depends on the application. I think there, when you think about heavy duty trucks, large 18 wheelers that go from the East Coast to the West Coast, I do see that there might be a world for hydrogen and the application. Now on the passenger car side, I would say right now, a lot of the money is being spent on putting in charging infrastructure for electric vehicles. I'm not sure that the society is gonna be keen to put you know, a similar amount of money again for hydrogen charging infrastructure so so that is one of the big uh big uh, hesitations there also i would say you know if you have an electric vehicle and you have charged it at your house you treat it a little bit like your phone right you, you use it during the day and you charge it at nighttime at home uh, that's very convenient uh, especially if it's wireless eventually now once you have experienced that convenience do you think people are going to go back from that and say, hey, I really loved my experience of going to a gas station and I really prefer that over you know, charging the vehicles at home? So I think um, it's going to be really hard to compete with the convenience of an electric vehicle at that point. In time. We think about, you know, oh, well, it takes five minutes or so to fill up a hydrogen tank uh, compared to, you know, 20 or 30 minutes to recharge a vehicle if you're out on the road. But if you're able to just do it at home, nothing could be easier. Yeah, it's very convenient. And then uh, one thing 
there could be an alternative to hydrogen as well is e-fuels. So you basically take CO2 out of the atmosphere, if you will, or where it's being created, you combine it with green hydrogen, and you produce an e-fuel, which is very similar to the regular gasoline that we're using today. You can actually use e-gasoline in today's engines. And because you took out the CO2 out of the air in order to produce it, and yes, you still have a tailpipe emission, but on a full cycle, you're reducing CO2 emissions by roughly 90%. So this can be a real alternative if you want to decarbonize your mobility needs as a society. And that 90%, does that compare to 100% from an EV because it doesn't have a tailpipe? Um, well, it depends on you know whether you look at it from end to end. Yeah. Right. The whole the so whole process. So. I I give you an example. We we looked at a fleet in in Florida, and they had a thousand vehicles, and they wanted to decarbonize. And their question to us was, how much CO two reduction are we going to get from moving fully electric from our ICE fleet? In this case, it was buses. And their reduction just from moving towards electric is about 40%. So you still have 60% of the emissions still being created, and that has to do uh, with the way we are currently um, producing the energy. As long as we're relying on, let's say, for example, fossil fuels or, um, or, or, or coal, uh, obviously we are emitting a lot of CO2 in the process. Um, so moving to electric will only move towards 100% of CO2 reduction if we can do that with renewable energy. And we're not there yet. No, we're not there yet. And it's gonna still, still take quite a bit of time until we get there. All right. Philip Kamshoff is senior partner at McKinsey and Company. He leads the McKinsey Center for Future Mobility in the Americas and its work on mobility disruptors. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Jamie, for having me. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Callan Walker. Thanks to Automotive News Coordinating Producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on innovation and technology, updates from CES, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for more of our coverage and conversations from CES in Las Vegas. You can also see me and some of our other staff members live at CES tomorrow at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find that on the Automotive News LinkedIn page. If you enjoyed the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.